Lexi, in the in the last episode, you called me out for wanting to be a Chicago improver, as if that's not also your dream. Oh, it as was. If that's it was. Not also it was projection. Goal. Yeah, it was. It was me projecting onto you. Yeah. This yeah. is clearly for like both of us. That's the goal. That's what we're we're doing. This is not you got just me. a me thing. <laughs> I'm mirroring myself off of you. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what's happening here. I, I, yeah. I mean, psychology. I, don't... <laughs> I also like. I don't just want to be a Chicago improver. I want to be like. I want to podcast like the wife of a jaded YouTuber because I want to be Catherine Green. Okay, that makes sense. That makes I sense. I want to be Catherine Green, the best of the Green Brothers, Catherine Green. Yeah, the best Green Brother there is out there. So that's true. I mean, I that's, mean Sarah yeah. is great too, but like Catherine is the best of the Green Brothers. The best, the best there is. That Hank's wife. Catherine is Hank's wife. Yeah, and then Sarah is John's wife. Which one has kids? Hank. They right? both do. I thought it was only one of them. I'm no, very the Hank has a life. son. He's almost four now. Really Hank has thought. a son who's almost four, and then John has a son and a daughter. The daughter is six. You know, and way too the much son in is their life. Ten. You're you're a little Stan. I am a Stan. I am a Stan. Well, because I've been following them since like 2012. Like I remember when this child was born. That's true. That's kind of how I feel about Red Link. Mm-hmm. I kind of like know their whole life by proxy, like. I remember their kids being born, but I don't. I don't know them. <laughs> See, I kind of feel that way with like the Duggar family, but it's also that like my friends and I were just obsessed with the Duggars in like 2000. No, exactly. Also, like I met I John and Hank. They signed my copy of Paper Towns that when I was at real. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, once you get like an autograph, you know that person. Like Kara Cooney with her autographing my like oh, I think it was the woman's book, not the like specific. Not the, the Chepset one? Yeah. It was um, one of, like, the women who changed the world or something. Mm-hmm. And it, she put, like, my name in hieroglyphs. And, oh, my God. That's so, yeah. cute. That's so cool. Uh, I fangirled so hard. And then it was – I made my mom go because it was, like, National Geographic doing it for, like, my small town. So I got two tickets. We were in the front row. I was taking notes. My mom called me a nerd. But afterwards – and granted, this was, like, right after we graduated – so I was coming off the high of having an archaeology degree, aka really scared I wouldn't find a job and dealing with my family. What an interesting way to describe a high. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I don't know if you'd get it unless you felt it, but we've all felt it. So yeah. <laughs> maybe dear listeners will be like, oh, I graduated college knowing I'd get a job and I'm not an archaeologist. But No, I... <laughs> Like, I had grad school, but still, like, there was this feeling that <laughs> I did a really, really poor choice. So but in the line, it was, like, all feeling. kids, and then me fangirling, and all these kids were, like, fan- fangirling for the fact that this was, like, an Egyptologist, not Kara Cooney as, like, the woman she is. And, I like, mean, archaeologists are just nerds with um, Egypt books who didn't grow up. Exactly. That's true. So. And she was just talking to me, and she was like, oh, like, you seem to know about this. Like, I guess, like, I gave that impression. And I was like, yeah, I actually just graduated from GW with an archaeology degree. And she 
Oh my God. This was like, I've never felt, this was the peak of my life. Besides elementary school, this was my peak. She goes, Hey everyone, we have an actual archaeologist oh here. God. Oh like, my God. Oh my God. Was, I was like at the back of the, like somewhat back of the line. And it's all these kids who are saying that like, they love Indiana Jones. They want to be archaeologists. And she's like, we have another real archaeologist. She just finished her degree. And I turned to my mom, winked, and said, can you tell that louder so she can hear? She had to pay for the degree. Like, <laughs> she, like also, like, that led into, like, Kara Cooney just being, like, because so many people were asking her why, how, or how she became an Egyptologist. And her first response, she was like, I was privileged. Like, I had the privilege to get a great education. That is oh. such a good answer. Oh, that's such a good answer. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, I, I, I'm going to plagiarize that answer. I already have. <laughs> I, like, I know. Like, I very much know. Even, like, with history and doing this podcast, we could easily be doing some other, like, paying job. But, like, we're taking the three hours to do this. We have that privilege to do it. I love it. I'm going to ride that train because I know. Once I graduate in December, it's not going to be there. This modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. Hello and welcome to Lady History, the good, the bad, and the ugly ladies you missed in history class. I am virtually here with Lexi. Lexi, do you remember the last time you dined in at a restaurant? Oh, goodness. With you, I think. Yeah. Um, six months ago? It was March 9th, 2020, and it was all three of us at Tonic. <laughs> That's <Yes>. right! <laughs> that third person is also in this Zoom meeting. Of course, Haley is here, too. Haley, do you remember what you ordered at that meal? We definitely split some tots, because I made you. And then I got the, like, uh, Zazzy mac and cheese. I had some breadcrumbs. That's all I remember. It did have some breadcrumbs. I don't remember what I ordered. I do remember that I had two margaritas and they were expensive <laughs> because I forgot to ask for bottom shelf tequila. <laughs> no, it was great because I like, I was the first person to look at the receipt and I said, oh no, no, no. Because it was like Patron put as two separate shops. So she had to pay for the margarita mix and the tequila separately. <laughs> And I'm Alana, and I've forgotten how to spell my own name on multiple occasions. I'm terrified of birds. It's not a good thing. <laughs> so if you lived on a pirate ship... I couldn't. Okay. So if you lived on a pirate ship, you couldn't live on a pirate ship. But if you did, the bird would be the worst part? Yeah. But you know who knows how to take care of birds? Who? Pirates. That's probably not true. They probably treated them like real poopy. But <laughs> honestly, I don't even know if that is the is that myth true? Do, I was about do, to ask that. Do I pirates was... have parrots? My pirate did definitely not have a parrot. There was no, no mention of a parrot. No, no, no mention no. of a parrot for me either. That was what like my whole life like is one alive. of my questions. Yeah. Wait, what if my whole life is a lie? Because um, fun fact about me, I have a parrot named Sergeant and a Portuguese water dog named Captain, and my whole life is based around the nauticalness. And you can't see, but in this room, I have these paddles, which is like a form of sorority art. Long story, we won't get into it. And they all have nautical-themed paintings of my pets. 
<laughs> and if parrots and pirates don't really go together, I'm stressed. So, okay, I have a theory on, like, why this is, like, a theme. Because they traveled all through, like, the Caribbean islands where those birds were just, like, flapping around. So I think they're like, oh, new exotic toys? Swell. So, like, they saw them and maybe, like, obviously took some back because, like, so many pirates just, like, took things from where they, like, landed and just, like, that's true over other ships. That's so true. That's where I think it came from. Because nowhere in, like, my research, because I talk about, like, one, two pirates in mine, um, and doing, like, other research with, like, pirates in general, nowhere where I was, like, there was a parrot named Coconut on the ship. We <laughs> well, they might have, like, taken them and sold them. That, Not yeah, that's, like, them. That yeah. seems more piratey to me. Yeah, it's true. In my personal pirate opinion. I um, also used to think Christopher Columbus was a pirate, but... That's a whole I mean, story. like it's close enough. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, like maybe like small Haley was onto something, but I definitely remember thinking like explorers were pirates at some point. Like a wire was crossed in my education. I think small Haley was onto something. Maybe yeah. that crossed wire put you onto something. There are so many moments of like me remembering my childhood where I came up with something that was like inherently wrong. But, like, now looking back on it, I was like, no, nah, I was a fucking genius. <laughs> like, I knew my stuff. Are but you I'm ready, scared. ladies? Yes. Oh, I wasn't answer... to watch Spongebob as a kid. The answer <laughs> was personality I, I, Captain, trait. and oh. neither of you got it. I wasn't allowed it. to watch okay, Spongebob as a kid. Let's just try it one more time. <laughs> Are you ready, ladies? <laughs> I don't Captain. know. Okay, well, anyway... <laughs> I will be talking about Chung Shi, whose name I'm trying very hard to say correctly, but I may be messing up. I actually called upon my former roommate, who is my lifelong friend, who uh, she is Chinese. So I asked her, how do you say this? And she sent me a recording of how it's said, but it was one of those recordings you can only listen to one time and then it goes away forever. So my best interpretation is uh chung shi but it's actually spelled c-h-i-n-g which I was shows say, you how it... complicated chinese language is um but technically the pronunciation i got from a person who speaks cantonese is chung shi so do with that what you will i do speak korean which is completely unrelated and in no way useful in this situation <laughs> um cantonese is not in my wheelhouse no, I don't speak Asian. Um, thank you. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, so I actually picked her because when I asked my brother, who my brother, one of his like side dreams is to become a filmmaker, but he doesn't really want to do it because someone in the family has to make money with their career choice. So when I asked him like what historical story he would make into a movie if he had like a big budget and he was a famous director, he said he would make a biopic about Chung Shi because by virtue of being a woman and a pirate, her story is both empowering and naturally full of a diverse ca- cast of characters. So you wouldn't have to force diversity into the story. Um, it's a historical story that has a really diverse cast. So I thought that was really insightful of him. So he just got really, really interested in Chung Shi. And also um, another preface, getting information on Chung Shi is pretty difficult. 
and a lot of the information we have about her life comes from speculation and oral history because she was a criminal, so it's not like people really record a lot of the things she did. And she was a woman, so it's not like in China (laughs) at the time she was alive, people really cared what women were doing, unfortunately. So I will do my best to rely on like recorded oral traditions and some primary text sources, um, not like speculation in this description, but inherently by virtue of her story, there is a little stuff that's like open to interpretation up in the air. Do with that what you will. Changxi was basically a queen of pirates, and records of Changxi's birth and childhood do not exist. Um, All we know is that directly before she became a pirate, she was working at a Cantonese brothel in southeastern China. And in 1801, her life changed forever when she married a man named Chang Yi, who was a commander of a group of pirates called the Red Flag Fleet. It was like the most notorious group of pirates in China at the time. And the legend says that he sought Changxi as a bride because of her cunning nature and her skills wielding power over like wealthy, powerful men, which she had learned while working as a prostitute in a brothel, which I think is a pretty interesting, interesting way of looking at that job. I think a lot of times people look down on that job, but her husband wanted her because of the skills she obtained in that job. And after marrying a pirate overlord, Changxi realized that a pirate's life was for her, but um, um, so she started like to get joke. involved. That was, that thank, was amazing. Thank you, thank you. Pause for laughter. Um, <laughs> so thank you, thank you. Um, I'll be here all day because I'm in my house and we're stuck at home. So yeah, she started to get involved in the family business. She really liked the pirating, and maritime trade was like super popular at the time. People were calling it like the the maritime Silk Road. So it was a very big time for maritime trade in this early 1800s in East Asia. And so it was really common for pirate families to span generations. So like a grandfather, father, and son, or like, you know, a mother and son would would have many pirates that they rule over together. Um, But she was the biggest pirate family, or her family was the biggest pirate family. And with her help, her husband's pirate empire got like, like really huge with some accounts suggesting that they commanded upwards of 80,000 pirates, though some sources do differ on this exact number. I've seen as low as 40,000, as high as 100,000, but 80,000 40,000, that's so few. That's that's not really impressive. Would you you like a comparison just to, to really hit it home? Yeah, sure. The notorious pirate you may have heard of, Blackbeard. Have you heard of Blackbeard? Uh, how many pirates do you think Blackbeard commanded at the height of his career? Definitely like 20. 300. <gasps> so just like for scale, for comparison, um, Chengxi had a lot of pirates. And in 1807, her husband suddenly and unexpectedly died. One written record suggests that he was murdered. Another one says that he had um, an STD. <laughs> so we're not totally sure which one. Um, but he died and he had no blood heir. The two of them had not had a child yet, but he did have an adoptive son who was also his lover, which at first I was like, wait, that's really weird. But apparently in this era in Chinese history, if you wanted to like give power to someone to like take over your family business, you would adopt them legally as your child, even if they were an adult. So he had this male lover who he wanted to give the business to. So he adopted the male lover as a son. 
But basically, everyone's assuming that this guy, this adopted son, is going to take over the family business and he will become the, the pirate emperor, if you will. But at this point, Chungshi is, like, not ready to give up her power. She is in control. She's in charge. She wants to stay in charge of all the pirates. So she decides to take up her favorite old method of getting what she wants, seduction. And she starts hooking up with her husband's son lover and then marries him. (laughs) So through her skills of manipulation and seduction, she maintains her position as a leader of this massive pirate brigade. And oral tradition suggests that many nations' navies fell victim to her pirate fleet, including the Portuguese, British, and Chinese navies. All of them lost naval ships to Changxi. The Chinese government realized that Changxi was a big threat, that she was so powerful that there was no way they would ever defeat her fleet by force. So they decided to reach an agreement with her, almost like a treaty, but not a treaty since it wasn't between two nations. It was with a criminal. Um, so they offered her immunity or, like, the ability to not get charged or punished if she agreed to stop pirating. But she was not going to go down without a fight, so she accepted only if the Chinese government would allow her to keep all of the loot that she had already acquired. So she agreed to stop pirating, but not to give back anything that she had acquired while pirating. So she ended up this really rich woman who opened a brothel in South China and just chilled for the rest of her life. And the really crazy thing about Chang-Chi is her lasting legacy. Even though most people have never heard of her, she's actually been referenced a lot in pop culture. She was mentioned in two Assassin's Creed spinoff games, and she inspired a character in the Pirates of Caribbean series, um, Madame Chung. They also featured her in Rejected Princesses, which is a book about like famous women from history who could be princesses but don't fit the traditional role of what a princess is. So I thought that was really cool. And I would love to see a edgy movie about her, her life and her history. That's Chang-Chi. I love that. That's awesome. I feel like I knew her name and I saw you putting it on the spreadsheet. Like, I, I was like, oh, I know that from somewhere. Like, I feel like I knew her story. It's badass. We love yeah, to see a it. Woman. I love that. I think that's cool. All right. So how I did Amelia Earhart last week, we don't know what happened with her death. Same train or same boat as you will. Uh-huh. Um, we just i'm gonna do Anne bonnie who's like a famous pirate she's a famous irish pirate and i only knew this because uh when i started dating robert who's 100 percent irish i was like oh let me just google some like famous irish people (laughs) and like like as a joke like slip it into conversation and she came up and i just always kind of thought about her but also we just don't she's more of a legend type of thing like for some some parts of this story, there are parts where I was like, this doesn't seem real. And other parts where I was like, this is fact. I also have a great pirate joke if I could tinkle your taste buds with. Go for it. What does a dyslexic pirate say? Right. They don't know. <laughs> I see there. what you were trying to do. Thank you. What do they say? Ark. No, wait, I wrote it wrong. It's grah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I'm a little dyslexic to begin with. I have some trouble reading, and I just effed my own joke. It's gra. I saw, I was, like, on one of, it's one of those jokes that you have in your brain. I saw it on, like, a t-shirt when I was in, like, Florida years and years back, and it's always been in my brain for that one. All right, so let's get hooked for this golden age of piracy. 
Uh, and she was born and like raised in Ireland. And we're going to talk about Ireland a little, but she was more active in the Caribbean. And I couldn't find, Lexi, what you're talking about with your gal about kind of inspiring some pirates in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. She's known as like a pirate, well known in the active pirate Caribbean circle, but I couldn't find of her influence in like modern. Maybe I just like wasn't looking in the right places. Maybe it was just like her name, but she's in, she was born like the late 1600s and we're already off to a rocky start with her story because she was born to an attorney, William Cormack, who had an affair with the family maid. Mary Brennan, because of this whole affair, William's wife left him. So like immediately there's just some family struggle. Mary gave birth to Anne and it was kind of like a weird situation where William acknowledged Anne as his daughter, but in a secretive sort of sense, like Mary and Anne lived removed from the family. William would visit and he became fond of her, but also didn't want her to be like, here's my daughter and like out in society as his daughter so to avoid any scandal he was like aha i'm gonna dress Anne up as a boy and introduce her as like the child of a relative all my friends in the town and like my attorney friends won't know she's my child and also they'll think she's a boy but she's like still a relative of mine like that's why we look so similar so already that's just opening up a whole can of worms of identity and just family issues. Lexi's giving me a face. Yeah, no, it's a lot. And this is great for one of the sources, quote, when Anne's true gender, <laughs> like, and patri uh, parentage were discovered, William and Mary were like, okay, we can't be in Ireland anymore. Like, let's peace. Um, and I believe they're in like the town of like County Cork. Robert informed me is not where he's from. He's from Limerick. And got real mad that I confused the two, but guys, <laughs> we peace from Ireland. And now our story is going to Charleston, South Carolina, or what is now Charleston, South Carolina. It was like known as the Carolinas area. And Mary died somewhat soon after in 1711. Anne was going through her angsty teen years. Instead of listening to that good emo music, um, she turned into quote, a fierce and courageous temper. Me too. But like, hold up, because I don't think you like <laughs> murdered people. Like she- That's true. Kind of like started murdering people. I was gonna um, be like, you don't know that, but also I shouldn't implicate myself for murder on a podcast. I did not no. kill anybody. No, no, no. So like she reportedly murdered what the many articles and sources called a servant girl with a case knife, which I'm not 100% sure what a case knife is. I tried Googling it, but all the knives looked different to me. And beating, this is kind of like, honestly, this part I'm not, I don't have so much problem with, and beating half to death a dude who tried to rape her. So like that was self-defense. Like, I don't good. know why that's being slipped in as yeah, like good. criminal Amazing. rap sheet. She had to defend herself. I guess she got that power of, ooh, I can do some damage. I can defend myself because she later turned into a pirate. But we're not there yet. We're at the part where William is just not a fan of how his daughter is acting. It was more not out of sense of protecting her, but more protecting his reputation because along with this fierce and courageous temper, there are rumors of her sleeping around with the fishermen and like the other quote unquote drunks in the different bars and taverns that they had that she would just go to. 
and he said it was like bad for business and he's not an attorney anymore he owns a plantation couldn't find out like what the plantation was where it was blah 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 but that's not important we're here for Anne and Anne married a small-time pirate which honestly is like a fancy name for poor sailor in this area named James Bonnie honestly I couldn't like figure out whether he was a pirate already or like a small-time pirate or a sailor because like from all the sources I read that mentioned him like he's real small potatoes in her life story he was on a boat loved the fish maybe had a pirate friend, a bird, a parrot, but he's definitely the source of her leading into the piracy gang. Her father disapproved of James James immediately and basically disowned her in the sense of like kicking her out of the house and was just like, no, like if you're going to live like this, I'm not helping you. Trying to instill that fatherly sense. This is another great quote from the National Park Service. The literal sentence after this, like, whole kicking out situation. Anne may have burned her father's plantation in retaliation, parentheses. She was known for her temper. (laughs) I tried, (laughs) this is where I tried to, like, Google the plantation and everything, and I couldn't find anything concrete of, like, this plantation and this burning. But, like, she could have burned down her father's plantation. Maybe that's why you can't find anything about it, because it burned down. Honestly, good point. So sometime between 1714 and 1718, Anne and James move around like the Bahamas area. And at this, maybe it's still called this, but at the time it was known as like the Republic of Pirates. So it's like the collection of the Bahama Islands and you just sail around it. Um, And it was like the sanctuary for English pirates. So it's kind of under English law, but really it's small defenseless islands with more pirate ships that you could take over. And they kind of like lit, like I couldn't find out like what, I think it was like Nassau, but that's like the modern name for the Bahama Island. But I couldn't find out like exactly where they landed or if they just landed a cluster of islands, but they kind of just like lived in that area. James did whatever James did, but Anne hung out at the local taverns. I want to be a regular at a bar one day. And that's where she met John Calico Jack Rackman. Fun nickname of Calico Jack was from the colorful pants he wore. He was the captain of a ship or a boat called Revenge. And every time I saw the name Revenge, it was all in caps, like bold. It was like, you gotta know this boat's named Revenge. Anne realized that she wanted to be with uh, Calico Jack and not James, but James refused to get a divorce. He was like, nah, we're married, deaf do us part, blah, blah, blah. Uh, So Anne was just like, nah, jumped ship from that marriage (laughs) and joined (laughs) Calico Jack as a crew member aboard the Revenge. And over the next years, they were active in around like Jamaica, doing what pirates do, capturing other vessels, taking their riches or like spoils, collecting all the booty. This vessel or like one of these vessels included another female pirate, Mary Reed, and she basically infiltrated the pirate ships, infiltrated the ranks of the pirate ships by dressing as a man. I don't know if like they had like this, I like, I imagined Annie like walking on the ship, bumping into Mary being like, no, you're a woman dressed up as a man. I know this. And then Mary being like, whoa, you're a woman too? No way. Like having some sort of like face-to-face heart-to-heart because they became like best friends. Were they gal pals? Were they best best friends? Roommates? Were they roommates? 
Were they gal pals? I don't know. They were definitely gal pals, and they definitely got into some mischief together, i.e. in October of 1720-ish. Calico Jack and his crew were captured by a ship called King's Ship, and it was, like, under the commission or, like, under the government of, like, Jamaica. So a pirate hunter, Jonathan Barnett, was kind of like, ah, you guys are coming for me. You, you pirates. That's, that's a big no-no. So during this capture, most of the men were just like hiding at the bottom of the ship in the barracks or something. And it was Anne and Mary who were like hicking butt on the top deck. (laughs) Um, Like many of the sources made a point to stress that like it was Anne and Mary really kicking some butt and everyone else was hiding during this like siege. In accordance with English common law, Anne and Mary were, like, given stay of execution because, like, once they were captured, it's, y'all are going to be hanged. Like, we don't have a jail system up and running yet. Execution. Only way to go. But since they were pregnant or claiming to be pregnant, we don't super know, they were allowed to live until the children were born. If they said that they were pregnant, that's, that's another few, few months to live. We love um, prioritizing a fetus over a living woman. Yeah. We love that. That's going to yeah. be a big ol' slash S for me, kids. Yeah. Now we get to the point where there's no official record, but I'm, I'm going to speculate that there's no official record for a lot of this. And then, like, not-so-scholarly sources, nonetheless, oral tradition is still a thing. We'll listen to it. We'll speak about it. We get to the point where, like, they're both in prison, but read. Uh, Mary Reed dies of a fever. So like she doesn't last to like give birth, somehow get out of the, get out of it saying, oh, there was a fetus inside me. I don't know why this fetus isn't growing. And for Anne at least, some people say that she just like died in prison and like eventually was like hanged. Others say that she escaped from prison and went on to just be a pirate again. She was master of disguise. She loved doing what she was born to do, I guess. But the real like meat and potatoes of the legend is that her father paid for her ransom to get back to the Carolinas. And so after she gave birth, which she was actually pregnant to Calico Jack's child, like they never mentioned Calico Jack and I'm assuming since he was a dude, he was just executed because like he couldn't give birth to some, like to a child. So he died. And she basically was like, I'm going to move on. I have this child. I'm in the Carolinas again. And met another guy named Joseph. And they had like 10 kids. Raised those 10 kids. And she died like a respectable woman at age 88. And that's like literally where it leaves off. Went back to the Carolinas. Her dad paid ransom. And there's more about like the dad paying ransom than any of the other accounts. Wow. That's our pirate Anne. So I told some of my internet friends about this theme. It didn't say who we were doing because that's spoilers but one of them asked if we were going to talk about the lady pirate who would fight dressed like a man and then right before she killed people would like pull out one of her tits is that no, this I think person that's, i think that's mary i think that's mary i think that's her buddy i was gonna say i feel like it was one of them i didn't read any of that for Anne. i also like so the source for that that i remember seeing is literally from tumblr and i take my tumblr history lessons with more salt than the dead sea so oh oh yeah that is the only way that is the only way to take the tumblr history (laughs) more salt than that's awesome 
Oh, I want that on a t-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> she has her own website, annbonniepirate.com, which I, like, perused at. Which is, like, a 50-year-old man in Florida who yeah. learned how to code. And, and that's and put really that on where there. I got, like, the legend stuff. Because, like, National Park Service literally put, we don't know what happened to her. And I wanted to sprinkle in some mystery a little spice yeah like smithsonian mag did a piece on her there's like another a blog of called rare irish stuff all the museum stuff national park service was coming from here's what she did in her early stages of life and here's what she did at a pirate all the blogs were like the legend of her death all right alana okay my turn. I'm so excited for this. I'm so glad that like it wasn't my idea to do this one second. Like someone else was like, can we do Pirate Second? I was like, I was gonna ask to do Pirate Second. Okay. So I'm also talking about an Irish pirate, but like 150 years before Anne Bonnie. I'm talking about Gorinha Nimoyla or Grace O'Malley. Shout out to Susan Johnston for that pronunciation help. Love her, miss her. Dr. Johnston, I hope you're listening and I miss you and stay safe. Anyway, Gronya is born circa 1530 CE-ish. Somewhere near, some sources say Clare Island, some say Akil Island. Um, either way, those are islands in Clue Bay, which is northwestern Ireland. Her parents, Owen and Margaret, or Maeve in Irish, uh, Nimoyla. That one's cute because we'll see later, but like she names her first son and her daughter after them. Gronya has like a leg up when it comes to pirating because her family made their living at sea instead of other families in that area, other clans in that area were mostly farming. So already she's on the water. There is a legend, a lot of her stuff is legend, but there is a legend that as a child, she wanted to go travel or maybe it was a trading expedition to Spain with her father, but her father was like, no, 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 your hair is going to get tangled in the ropes. You can't come with us. (laughs) So she cut off all of her hair and this is how she gets the nickname Grunya Woyle and Woyle means the bald or like it means short hair or bald. And she's like so cool and so badass that she does have an older half-brother named Donal, but Grania uh, inherits her father's land and his title instead of, of the brother. I am trying to do the Irish names just because I feel like that's more... Look, you're oh, so ahead of me. I asked Robert. I should have asked Susan Johnston. You should have asked Susan Johnston. I... So, low-key, Lex, you can decide whether or not to keep this in, is I wanted to ask Johnston because I wanted to, like, low-key find a way to tell her we were doing a podcast without being like, we're doing a podcast! So I wanted to ask for help, so I wasn't just, like, bragging. See, I thought do you think living, I like, with a person from Ireland, like, 100% Irish would be helpful. I... Not- not that I much. love Susan Johnston. She's worked in Ireland for like years and years and years, and she never adopts an Irish accent by accident, except when she says the word Ireland. I don't know if you guys have noticed this. I noticed that. I love her. She's she says Ireland with an Irish gem. accent. It's the best thing in the world. Anyway, so she is 15 or 16-ish, gets married to a man named Donal O'Flaherty in 1546. They have three children, Owen, Maeve and it's anglicized to Murrow, but it's like Murchai, which sounds like a Hebrew name to me. Seemingly part of her dowry 
was three galleys and 20 ships. And the reason that that's probably part of her dowry is based on Irish law, she would get them back at a dissolution of the marriage, uh, which we'll get to why the marriage was dissolved. So the fact that like she was able to keep them after the marriage ended makes it seem like maybe like they came with her into this marriage and so they were part of the dowry. Poor Mr. O'Flaherty was hot-tempered and feuding with the neighboring clans just for S's and G's, shits and grins, just cause. And in 1564, he is mortally wounded in a territorial skirmish and Grania takes back his castle. Another legend says that it was originally known as Cox Castle and became later known as Hen's Castle because she took it back, which is fun. So that is why the marriage dissolved, because he died. Three years after he dies, he died in 1564. She gets remarried to someone named Richard Burke in 1567. He's known as Richard Nayarin, which means iron. So his nickname is Iron Dick. Multiple of my sources call him that, which is fun. <laughs> um, they, he just called him, they just called him like Iron Dick Burke. And I was like, okay, I guess this is happening. <laughs> Supposedly, she divorced him in 1568. He came home from something and his clothes and his stuff was packed outside their room and she was like, we're not married anymore. But Ireland, I don't know if you knew this. Remember how last episode I was like, Russia is cold? Ireland is Catholic. So a divorce was not going to fly. So it was either like he pissed her off and she was like, you're going to sleep on the couch for whatever. Or like they just kept pretending, but they weren't friends or actually in love, and they just kept pretending to be married. He died in 1583 of natural causes. Grania, who had taken a break from being a pirate and a rebel, which we'll get to in a sec, goes back to that, having, like, being a single woman again. So here are some of her piratey things. Her ships were not great for open ocean, so her piracy, or the way that she was being a pirate was short distance raids from her little stronghold in Northwest Ireland. And they would like levy tolls on passing ships. And if they didn't pay, bad things, bad things would happen. An English Lord once referred to her as the nurse of all rebellions in this province for 40 years. She gave birth to her youngest son and her only child with Iron Dick whose name is Theobald or Tibbet or Tiboid on a ship on the way back from something. Um, and the next day they were attacked by Algerian pirates. The legend around it says that they attacked within an hour. And so she just wrapped up this child and put it down and was like, okay, we're going to go kill these Algerian pirates now. There's also a legend of her at House Castle, which is in Dublin. The story goes that she was denied entrance because the family was at dinner. She thought this was super rude. So she kidnapped the grandson of the Earl and returns him in exchange for the promise that the family would always have an open chair for her at their dinner table. She's like Irish Elijah. There's an empty seat for her always. Between husbands, she took a lover, Hugh DeLacy, and he, they were like pirating it up together and he was killed like by some people they were raiding. And so Grania got revenge on the castle called Duna Castle and she gets the nickname. She's got all these nicknames, but this one I think is my favorite. It's 
Dark Lady of Duna, which I'm a big fan of. I really like that one. She has this like arch nemesis. Professor Johnston, Dr. Johnston called Elizabeth I Grania's number one enemy, which kind of, but I think this guy is her number one arch enemy. Richard Bingham, who is a lord in her county. In County Mayo is the English lord because England is like encroaching upon Ireland, which is a long running thing throughout history. This lord who was being basically like the English governor in Ireland captured her and almost hung her. But Gronya's son-in-law, whose name is also Richard Burke, and I'm not sure how that happened. This is a different Richard Burke, though, because his nickname is Devil's Hook. But he intervened and saved her from the gallows. And at one point, she got home from, she's been like doing this not quite a cold war because it definitely got hot at some times. She's been doing this like butting heads with um, Richard Bingham and her son, Murchai or Murray or Murrow or whatever, had sided with Bingham. So Grania destroyed his land and burnt his castle down. Motherly love, man. So we are going to now talk about Grania and Elizabeth I who met for the first time in 1593. So uh, Elizabeth is concerned about Ireland. Her father, Henry VIII, was the first person to call himself King of Ireland, or like in a while, was the first King of England to call himself King of Ireland as well. So there's some like tension between their families. So Ireland is still Catholic, even though famously at this point, England has not been Catholic, and it's got all these green pastures, like they could very easily rise up against her. And they have this relationship with Spain and Spain and England are not friends, but Grania has a problem as well. Her lands have been taken by Richard Bingham. Her oldest son, Owen, was killed. And Tibbet, that one, her youngest son, was captured by Bingham. And so Grania petitions for an audience to plead her case and she's granted it. This meeting does not go great. Grania refuses to bow. A lot of this is legend. Refuses to bow because she's also a queen, and so queens shouldn't bow to other queens. Supposedly, she brought a dagger into their meeting, but it was confiscated. The meeting was supposedly conducted in Latin because it was, quote, the only language they shared. I don't think it was the only language they shared because Grania petitioned in English and probably and is like a noble Irish woman and probably also spoke English, probably spoke some Spanish. I think she spoke both English and Irish perfectly well. But I love the idea that she goes to Elizabeth and is like, we're not going to conduct this in your language. Because Elizabeth probably didn't speak that much Irish. She was like, I could do this, but I'm going to put you out. You're going to, I am the underdog here. I am asking for help, but we're going to do this on my terms. When you say Irish, are you saying Gaelic or is this like another? I'm thinking of like- It's Irish Gaelic. Okay. I'm thinking of Johnston's uh, Celts class where she had the whole yeah, Irish specific like Irish language Irish Gaelic. map. Uh-huh. Okay, cool. So supposedly at one point, Grania sneezed and one of Elizabeth's ladies-in-waiting gave her a handkerchief and so Grania blew her nose and then she threw the handkerchief in the fire to a scandalized response. People were like, you should, this is a very expensive and beautiful gift and you should have kept it. And Grania says, no, in Ireland, that's a dirty freaking rag and we should dispose of it. So I like, that's another one of these things that I'm like, I don't, I really don't like, I think it's rude to like call out other cultures on being gross, but like, she just called your culture gross like what a badass so they came to this agreement 
that Grania would stop openly rebelling against the crown in exchange for the release of her son, the return of her lands, and Richard Bingham would be removed from his seat of power. Took too long. In Grania's opinion, took too long. Her son was released, but the rest of it took too long. So she started back up. Doing that rebel thing, all of that, rebelling against the crown. We love it. We love to see it. And she died of natural causes in 1603-ish, again, not really calendars. So she's approximately 73, which is a pretty nice old age considering her lifestyle. I do want to talk a little bit about Grania now. She is an icon of Irish history for standing up to England, which really something that so I was in Ireland I don't know if you guys knew this about me but I spent a month in Ireland and I was there for fourth of July I said to like the one Irish guy who was on the dig with us Paul shout out Paul I said you know the main message of the fourth of July is England get fucked and I feel like the Irish could get behind that so that's why Grania is really like she's everywhere to the point that there is a Grace O'Malley whiskey and gin company that will ship in anywhere in the U.S. I do think they are Ireland-based, but they will ship in the U.S. Each bottle is $40, and you have free shipping on two bottles. This is, they're not sponsoring me. I'm telling you to this in case um, you want to give me gifts, or if someone who's listening wants to DM me and get me a gift, I would be willing to try it. I looked at my liquor store, and they did not have it, but I did look at my liquor store. I think I've had it before. It's good, Jen. If I'm thinking of the label correctly, it's I can good. send you a picture of it. Very good. I but love Jen. Jen's like, like my drink of choice. The tagline is like, believe in grace. And I'm like, cool. Love that. Love to see it. Anyway, so I'm really, I was really excited about this one. I think she's a really cool person and a lot of fun. You know what I think is interesting? All of our ladies, if legend holds correctly, like if the popular legend holds correctly, did not die in their crazy rebellious lifestyles. They just died as old ladies living their life. Yeah. So, you know, people always talk about taking risks and stuff. Why not do it? Because you'll probably just die an old lady anyway. You will probably die an old lady anyway. That's true. I love this episode. This was so much fun. I love this podcast. (laughs) All right, you ready for an outro? Yeah, let's do it. You could find this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Lady History Pod. Our show notes and a transcript of this episode will be on ladyhistorypod.tumblr.com. If you like the show, leave us a review or tell your friends. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Instagram and Twitter at Lexi B. Draws. Our theme music is by me, GarageBand, and Amelia Earhart. Lexi is doing the editing. You will not see us and we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Lady History. Next week on Lady History, we're going to be talking about women of legend. Are they real? Are they not? What's up with their stories? We don't know. You don't know, but we'll find out together. Oh, Kara Cooney, I love you. Some quick corrections to last week's episode. Ginger Rogers was Fred Astaire's dance partner, not Grace Kelly. Also, my mom was the one who was almost eight when they were stopped at the airport in Israel. My uncle was five.